0: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is... Obscure, the podcast in which I read *Jude the Obscure* out loud and comment on it as I go. Last episode, uh, I teased something. I said, "I said maybe I'll just I'll just hit record and uh, and start right up again after I push stop." And in fact, that is what I have done. So, if you detect a certain continuity of mood from last episode to this, that is. The reason I have Jack-Jack perched on the reading throne here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial library, curled up at, at, uh, not at my foot, kind of at neck height actually behind me. Uh, I am touching his soft little underpaws right now and he is doing his best to ignore me as he naps the late morning away. Well, where are things right now with Jude and Sue? They have been debating the merits of marriage one way and the other. They they went over to the city hall, which is like the DMV there, and it was, looked miserable and and there was a lady there who was pregnant, who got a black eye, and there was this drunken couple and they were just going to get some, but but they couldn't do that till they got married for some reason. And that depressed them. And then they went outside and they went and they walked around and they saw a little church and there was a wedding being performed at that moment in that church. And they walked inside to watch and that depressed them. So they were like, we can't do this. We just can't do this. Although we suspect, I suspect Jude would, Jude would be happy to if Sue would just give the okay, but he will just do whatever she says because that is who he is. And The last thing Sue says is when Jude says, all right, yeah, I agree. We won't get married. It's not like it's, you know, it sucks. And she goes, yeah, how good you are, my friend. You give way to all my whims. And he says, they accord very much with my own. So first of all, it turns me off that she defines his goodness by the fact that he gives way to all her whims. That to me is not necessarily the hallmark of of a healthy relationship which is she's saying i like you because you do whatever i say (laughs) (laughs) uh you know there has to be there, there will not always be a chord in relationships um or if there is a chord it won't always be a major chord sometimes it will be a dissonant chord you see i made a pun so that's where they are Um, They're still in the church, and now I'm picking up the reading. He gave her a little kiss behind a pillar while the attention of everybody present was taken up in observing the bridal procession entering the vestry, and then they came outside the building. By the door they waited till two or three carriages, which had gone away for a while, returned, and the new husband and wife came out into the open daylight." su sighed. the flowers in the bride's hands are sadly like the garland which decked the the heifers of sacrifice in old times you know how like when people are standing outside a uh, a wedding right and they see a a, a new uh husband and bride come out and, and, and everybody's excited and clapping. Most people say, don't that, doesn't that look lovely? Don't they look happy? Sue says, yeah, sadly, it looks like the flowers on heifers of sacrifice. You know, they put garlands of flowers, I guess, on these cows before they kill them. <laughs> 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 so that's what she's saying. It reminds her of. So, yeah, I, I guess it's good they're not getting married. I mean, I, ultimately, it's good, right? For them, it's good, we think. Still, Sue, it is no worse for the woman than for the man. That's what some women fail to see. And instead of protesting against the conditions, they protest against the man, the other victim, just as a woman in a crowd will abuse the man who crushes against her when he is only the helpless transmitter of the pressure put upon him. Yes, some are like that, instead of uniting with the man against the common enemy, coercion. The bride and bridegroom had by this time driven off, and the two moved away with the rest of the idlers. No, don't let's do it, she continued, at least just now. Well, what do you mean at least just now? You've said you're not going to get married. You've said it's like sacrificing a cow. You've said it is coercion. You've said it is that the, the woman and the man are both victims of marriage. So why are you even leaving the door open to it? You, 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 you don't want to get married. So just own it. You don't want to get married. It's fine, Sue. It's fine. They reached home and passing the window arm in arm, saw the widow looking out at them. "'Well,' cried their guest when they entered, "'I said to myself, when I zied you coming, "'so loving up to the door, "'they made up their minds at last then.' They briefly hinted that they had not. What? And hadn't you really done it? Chalk it all that I should have lived to see a good old saying like marry in haste and repent at leisure, spoiled like this by you two. <laughs> okay, so that's funny, right? I mean, okay, so now the widow is being, is, is a little bit of a comic character. She's saying, well, why why wouldn't you do it? There's a, there's an old saying for this marry in haste, repent in leisure. Funny. Uh, and she's saying, you spoiled it. "'Tis time I got back again to Mary Green. Sakes if titten, if this is what the new notions be leading us to. Nobody thought of being afeard of matrimony in my time, nor of much else but a cannonball or empty cupboard. Why, when I and my poor man were married, we thought no more of it than of a game of, of dibs.'" <laughs> Don't So I guess she just storms off. <laughs> "'We thought no more of it than a game of dibs.'" I don't know what game of dibs is, but I think we we understand enough. So she goes off in a huff. Don't tell the child when he comes in, whispered Sue nervously. He'll think it has gone on right, and it will be better that he should not be surprised and puzzled. Of course, it is only put off for reconsideration. If we are happy as we are... What does it matter to anybody? Indeed, Sue Bridehead, indeed. And so ends chapter four of part the fifth. So the the chapter has ended. They dithered. They dathered. They did not get married. They have this kid. They're going to raise the kid as goddamn hippies living on a goddamn ashram, right? just uh, the, the rules don't apply to them everybody else has to follow the rules but jude and sue can do whatever they want well what if everybody did whatever they wanted jude and Sue? what would this world become people growing out their hairs past their shoulders people running around with hubcaps instead of hula hoops that's a that could be a good saying people running around with hubcaps instead of hula hoops I don't know what it would mean. It doesn't make any sense except that they're both round things that start with H. Living in your ashram, eating your tempeh, drinking your kambuka. probably probably grew, brewing it yourself with your own yeast. How dare you? Chapter five. the purpose of a chronicler of moods and deeds does not require him to express his personal views upon the grave controversy above given. Hmm. So it looks like Tom Hardy here is breaking the fourth wall. And he's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying what happened, right? He's calling himself a chronicler of this tale. When of course, that's ridiculous, because he's making up the entire thing himself and 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 his views are the entire book that is what the book is, but apparently, there's a grave controversy above given, uh which I don't know if if he is talking about the controversy of whether or not to marry or some controversy to come but let's read on and find out that the Twain were happy between their times of sadness was indubitable. And when the unexpected apparition of Jude's child in the house had shown itself to be no such disturbing event as it had looked, but one that brought into their lives a new and tender interest of an ennobling and unselfish kind, it rather helped than injured their happiness." To be sure, with such pleasing anxious beings as they were, the boy's coming also brought with it much thought for the future, particularly as he seemed at present to be singularly deficient in all the usual hopes of childhood. But the pair tried to dismiss, for a while at least, a too strenuously forward view. So they're saying, you know, they're, they're together now. They've got this kid. They're happy, which I think is the first time in the book uh, any happiness on their parts has been indicated. The happiness seems to be the result of not getting married. A negative has produced a positive. And for that, we are to be grateful. We have two paragraphs of happiness for Jude and Sue and I, for one, am delighted. How long will it last? Probably not through the third paragraph, but let us read on and see. Oh gosh, I have to sneeze. (sighs) (sighs) That was not a particularly dramatic sneeze on my part. I always sneeze at that decibel level. There is in Upper Wessex an old town of nine or ten thousand souls. The town, and so we remember, this is Aldbrickham, and elsewhere. I guess we we're about to find out where elsewhere is. The town may be called Stoke Hills. It stands with its gaunt, unattractive ancient church and its new red brick suburb amid the open, chalk-soiled cornlands near the middle of an imaginary triangle which has for its three corners the towns of Aldbrickham and Wintonchester and the important military station of Quartershot. The Great Western Highway from London passes through it, near a point where the road branches into two, merely to unite again some twenty miles further westward." Out of this bifurcation and reunion, there used to arise, among wheeled travelers before railway days, endless questions of choice between, between the respective ways. But the question is now as dead as the Scott and Lot freeholder, don't know what that is, don't care, the road wagoner and the male coachman who disputed it. <clears throat> and probably not a single inhabitant of Stoke Bear Hills is now even aware that the two roads which part in his town ever meet again, for nobody now drives up and down the great Western Highway daily. Okay, that is a lot of description about a road. The most familiar object in Stoke Bear Hills nowadays is its cemetery standing among some picturesque medieval ruins beside the railway. The modern chapels, modern tombs, and modern shrubs having a look of intrusiveness amid the crumbling and ivy covered decay of the ancient walls. Well, this is a theme. That has been existing throughout the book. The theme of intruding modernity. Uh, The railway has intruded upon the highway that led from London. And the modern tombs are intruding on the picturesque medieval ruins. And the brick suburb is intruding on the old town of Stoke Bear Hills. And the chronicler here is not expressing his personal views upon the matter, although he is noting the change. On a certain day, however, in the particular year, which has now been reached by this narrative, the month being early June, the features of the town excites little interest, though many visitors arrive by the trains, some down trains in a special, nearly emptying themselves here. It is the week of the Great Wessex Agricultural Show. Oh, how I love the Great Wessex Agricultural Show. Oh, how I adore it. Oh, the threshers and such. I love to look at a scythe and the milking cows and the proud sheep. Oh, how I love to look at their wool. It's the week of the great Wessex agricultural show, whose vast encampment spreads over the open outskirts of the town like the tents of an invading army, rows of marquees, huts, booths, pavilions, arcades porticos, every kind of structure short of a permanent one, cover the green field for the space of a square half mile and the crowds of arrivals walk through the town in a mass and make straight for the exhibition ground. The way there, too, is lined with shows, stalls, and hawkers on foot who make a marketplace of the whole roadway to the show proper and lead some of the improvident to lighten their pockets appreciably before they reach the gates of the exhibition they came expressly to see. Oh, this is fun. We have a carnival mood, a carnival atmosphere here to go with the happiness that Jude and Sue are experiencing. Even Stoke Bear Hills, as bereft as it is throughout most of the year of fun and joy comes alive when the Great Wessex Agricultural Show comes to town. You can almost hear the calliope music, can't you? You can almost sense the excitement. And I want you to just hold on to that because we need to take a little break. And we're back. We are at the Great Wessex Agricultural Show. It's the highlight of the season. I continue. It is the popular day, the shilling day, and of the fast-arriving excursion trains, two from different directions enter the two contiguous railway stations at almost the same minute. One, like several which have preceded it, comes from London, the other by a cross line from Aldbrickham, and from the London train alights a Uh couple—uh-oh, uh-oh, I sense trouble— I sense, uh, by the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. I think we know who this couple from London is, and I think there will be a train from Aldbrickham, which we have already heard about, and who will detrain from that car? I think we know. So there's going to be some trouble alights a couple a short rather bloated man with a globular stomach and small legs resembling a top on two pegs accompanied by a woman of rather fine figure and rather red face dressed in black material and covered with beads from bonnet to skirt that made her glisten as if clad in chain mail they cast their eyes around. The man was about to hire a fly, as some others had done, when the woman said, "'Don't be in such a hurry, Cartlett. It isn't so very far to the showyard. Let us walk down the street into the place. Perhaps I can pick up a cheap bit of furniture or odd china. It is years since I was here, never since I lived as a girl at Aldricham, and used to come across for a trip sometimes with my young man.' I can't carry home furniture by excursion chain, said in a thick voice, her husband, the landlord of the Three Horns, Lambeth, for they had both come down from the tavern in that excellent, densely populated, gin-drinking neighbourhood, which they had occupied ever since the advertisement, or, as they say in Wessex, advertisement, in those words had attracted them thither, The configuration of the landlord showed that he too, like his customers, was becoming affected by the liquors he retailed. Then I'll get it sent if I see any worth having, said his wife. They sauntered on, but had barely entered the town when her attention was attracted, here we go, by a young couple leading a child who had come out from the second platform into which the train from Aldbrickham had steamed. They were walking just in front of the innkeepers. Sakes alive said Arabella. What's that? said Cartlett. Who do you think that couple is? Don't you recognize the man? No. Not from the photos I've showed you. Is it Folly? Yes, of course. Oh, well, I suppose he was inclined for a little sightseeing like the rest of us. Cartlet's interest in Jude, whatever it might have been when Arabella was new to him, had plainly flagged since her charms and her idiosyncrasies, her supernumerary <laughs> hair coils, you know, her wig, her extensions, you know, uh, the same hair extensions that she used to beguile the young Jude folly she had used to beguile the once sober cartlet And her optional dimples (laughs) were becoming as a tale that is told. Arabella so regulated her pace and her husband's as to keep just in the rear of the other three, which it was easy to do without notice in such a stream of pedestrians. Her answers to Cartlett's remarks were vague and slight, for the group in front interested her more than all the rest of the spectacle. Well, why not? It's her kid after all. It's her kid who she abandoned first in Australia and then in Aldbrickham. Why shouldn't she be interested? I would be. I mean, you know, the heartless among us would say, well, what do you, what do you care, Arabella? You left the kid. You haven't, you haven't uh, written. You haven't called. You haven't done anything. So why do you care about the kid now? But, you know, just as a voyeur, of course you care. Of course you want to know what's going on. Of course you want to see what's become of your own offspring and your former husband and his pretty bride. Of course. Of course. They are rather fond of one another and of their child, seemingly, continued the publican. Their child, tisn't their child, said Arabella with a curious, sudden covetousness. They haven't been married long enough for it to be theirs. But although the smoldering maternal instinct was strong enough in her to lead her to quash her husband's conjecture, she was not disposed on second thoughts to be more candid than necessary. Mr. Cartlett had no other idea than that his wife's child by her first husband was with his grandparents as at the antipodes. I don't know what that means. Oh, I suppose not. She looks quite a girl. They are only lovers or lately married and have the child in charge as anybody can see. All continued to move ahead. The unwitting Sue and Jude, the couple in question, had determined to make this agricultural exhibition within 20 miles of their own town the occasion of a day's excursion, which should combine exercise and amusement with instruction at small expense. Right. We'll have fun. The kid will learn a little something uh, 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 about uh, where the food he he eats comes from. And uh, everybody gets to look at the goat goats and learn something about goats and it'll be great. He'll come home and, and they'll say, what'd you learn about the goats and he'll have, he'll have a whole explanation. Not regardful of themselves alone, they had taken care to bring father time, to try every means of making him kindle and laugh like other boys, though he was to some extent a hindrance to the delightfully unreserved intercourse in their pilgrimages, which they so much enjoyed." But they soon ceased to consider him an observer, and went along with that tender attention to each other, which the shyest can scarcely disguise, and which these, among entire strangers, as they imagined, took less trouble to disguise than they might have done at home. Sue, in her new summer clothes, flexible and light as a bird, her little thumb stuck up by the stem of her white cotton sunshade, went along as if she hardly touched the ground and as if a moderately strong puff of wind would float her over the hedge into the next field. Jude, in his light gray holiday suit, was really proud of her companionship, not more for her external attractiveness than for her sympathetic words and ways." That complete mutual understanding, in which every glance and movement was as effectual as speech for conveying intelligence between them, made them almost the two parts of a single whole. Well, he said they were happy, and by gall, they seem happy. By gum, do they seem like a happy couple. She floating along as if by the breeze, he in his holiday suit gamboling across the agricultural exhibition grounds, their morbid little sun between them. I mean, how happy they must be. It's a nice, it's, it's a pastoral scene being painted here, a scene of happiness and delight, one of wonder and joy. And just behind them, of course, the ominous cloud of Arabella. What will she do? Will her own pettiness intrude upon their joy. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. The pair with their charge passed through the turnstiles, Arabella and her husband not far behind them. When inside the enclosure, the publican's wife could see that the two ahead began to take trouble with the youngster, pointing out and explaining the many objects of interest, alive and dead. What are the dead objects of interest? what 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 does that mean? What are the dead objects of interest? Do they just mean like, here's a fancy piece of furniture or do do they mean here's a stuffed mastodon? I don't know. And a passing sadness would touch their faces at their every failure to disturb his indifference. So the kid's got a problem, right? The kid is, uh, he's a little Damien. He's, he's, here's what I think he is. Ultimately, And I'm just, I'm, I'm speculating as I go. He's a kind of cipher. He is, uh, the kid is nicknamed father time because like the chronicler indicated in the first part of this chapter, he is an observer, but he is not a participant. He does not make his own opinions known. He is time itself. He is both out of time and in time, and he has made Sue present in time for the first time. And in doing so, he has made the relationship he has solidified. The relationship between Sue and Jude. He, his presence, the presence of this time, is uh, the preciousness of their time together. I am talking so far out my ass right now, and yet. There's something to it. There is something about him being so uh, uh, enmeshed with the idea of time that I think Hardy is trying to get at here. And I think that they can try to impress their ways upon time. They can point out the living and the dead, just as they said, but they cannot make much of an impression. It is time that impresses them, it is time that changes them. And right now they're going through a happy time you know, for the most part, tinged with sadness, of course, because they see time is passing. But let's see how long it lasts. And let's take a break.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back. It's me, your mansplainer-in-chief, Michael. Let's keep reading, shall we? How she sticks to him, said Arabella. Oh, no, I fancy they are not married, or they wouldn't be so much to one another as that. I wonder. But I thought you said he did marry her. I thought he was going to, that's all, going to make another attempt after putting it off once or twice. As far as they themselves are concerned, they are the only two in the show. I should be ashamed of making myself so silly if I were he. I don't see how there's anything remarkable in their behavior. I should never have noticed their being in love if you hadn't said so. You never see anything, she rejoined. Nevertheless, Cartlett's view of the lover's or married pair's conduct was undoubtedly that of the general crowd, whose attention seemed to be in no way attracted by what Arabella's sharpened vision discerned. "Hay's charmed by her as if she were some fairy, continued Arabella. See how he looks round at her, and lets his eyes rest on her. I'm inclined to think that she don't care for him quite so much as he does for her. She's not a particular warm-hearted creature to my thinking, though she cares for him pretty middlin' much, as much as she's able to. And he could make her heart ache a bit if he liked to try, which he's too simple to do. There, now they're going across to the cart house sheds. Come along. I don't want to see the cart horses. It's no business of ours to follow these two. If we've come to see the show, let us see it in our own way, as they do it in theirs. Well, I suppose we could agree to meet somewhere in an hour's time, say at that refreshment tent over there, and go about independent. Then you can look at what you choose to, and so can I. Cartlet was not loath to agree to this, and they parted. So, uh, Arabella is making uh, some astute observations here, because she is nothing if not... Discerning as uh, she does have, in fact, this sharpened vision, and she lays it out exactly right. That she is, she cares for him pretty middling much, as much as she's able to, and he could make her heart ache a bit if he liked to try, but he wouldn't because he's too too simple to do it the way Arabella made his own heart ache. Because Arabella, uh, you know, I was going to say a word that they say in England. Maybe you know the word, maybe you don't, but I'm not going to say it, but she's not uh, the most loving of people Um, and is primarily interested, maybe singularly interested in her own happiness and comfort, which, you know, a lot of us are, but she is a particular egregious example of this kind of behavior. So she sees in Sue a kind of, uh, Well, she sees both of them as marks, right? She sees both of them as kind of fools. Um, In particular, Jude, who's too simple to extract from Sue the misery that he might, right? To get his ways. And she sees correctly in Sue that she is in some sense using Jude. I, I, in some sense, I think she does care for him. Very much cares for him. But so much of her care for him has to do with his care for her. So they agree to meet. Uh, uh, Cartlet, they parted. He, meaning Cartlet, proceeding to the shed where malting processes were being exhibit. sure, exhibited. Sure, he's a, he's a publican. Of course, he wants to see how they, how, do they, how they do the malting. And Arabella, in the direction taken by Jude and Sue. You get the feeling that Arabella would watch a lot of Bravo don't you? Just, I mean, just endless hours of Bravo watching The Real Housewives and all those terrible television programs and feeling invested in them, feeling deeply invested in these shows. And she would watch The Bachelor and have opinions about it. You know, that's who I think Arabelle is. No slight to any of you who watch The Bachelor and have opinions about it. But what are you doing with your lives? Before, however, she had regained their wake, a laughing face met her own, own, and she was confronted by Annie, the friend of her girlfriend of her girlhood, excuse me. So remember when she threw the, uh, the, the pizzle, the pig dick and Jude, when they first met, she was with two girls. Annie was one of those girls. So let's see what Annie's been up to. Annie had burst out in hearty laughter at the mere fact of the chance re-encounter. I'm still living down there. She said, as soon as she was composed, I'm soon to going to be married, but my intended couldn't come up here today. But there's lots of us come by excursion though. I've lost the rest of, him for the present have you met jude and his young woman or wife or whatever she is i saw him by now no not a glance of him in years well they are close by here somewhere yes there they are by that gray horse oh that's his present young woman wife did you say has he married again i don't know she's pretty isn't she yes nothing to complain of or jump at not much to depend on though a slim fidgety little thing like that he's a nice-looking chap too you ought to ha stuck to him arabella i don't know but i ought murmured she annie laughed <laughs> that's you arabella always wanting another man than your own well and what woman don't i should like to know <laughs> She's awful. As for that body with him, she don't know what love is, at least what I call love. I can see in her face she don't. Well, well, well. So Arabella is very perceptive because we know that Arabella is low and we know that when she's talking about love, she's talking about something carnal and of the earth. She is talking about S to the E to the double X sex six triple x sex six 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 and she can somehow see in sue's face her own chastity because sue is high and ethereal she is of course that thing that can be carried by a breeze over a hedge not arabella who could not be lifted by a hurricane gale She is rooted in the earth, Arabella, aloft in the sky. And she sees this in just a a glance at Sue's face. She sees something that her giddy friend Annie cannot. And perhaps, Abby dear, you don't know what she calls love. I'm sure I don't wish to. Ah, they're making for the art department I should like to see some pictures myself. Suppose we go that way. Why, if all Wessex is in here, I verily believe. There's Dr. Vilbert. <laughs> oh, you know, you remember Dr. Vilbert, right? Harold Hill, you know, uh, the, the, the music man, you know, selling selling uh, trombones, 76 trombones. Well, he sells, he sells medicines. He does fine medicines, balms and salves. And he's a quack, of course. And he promised Jude some books that he didn't deliver dr filbert haven't seen him for years and he's not looking a day older than when i used to know him how do you do physician i was just saying that you don't look a day older than when you knew me as a girl simply the result of taking my own pills regular ma'am only two and three pence a box warranted effect (laughs) only two and three pence a box warranted efficacious by the government staff now let me advise you to purchase the same immunity from the ravages of time by following my example only two and three The physician had produced a box from his waistcoat pocket and Arabella was induced to make the purchase. Well, of course she was. At the, "'At the same time,' continued he, when the pills were paid for, "'you have the advantage of me, Mrs.' "'Surely not Mrs. Fowley, once Miss Dunn of the vicinity of Merry Green?' "'Yes, but Mrs. Cartlett now. "'Ah, you lost him then, promising young fella. "'Pupil of mine, you know, I taught him the dead languages, "'and believe me, he soon knew nearly as much as I.' "'I lost him, but not as you think,' said Arabella Arabella dryly. "'The lawyers untied us. "'There he is, look, alive and lusty, "'along with that young woman entering the art exhibition. "'Ah, dear me, fond of her, apparently. "'They say they are cousins. "'Cousinship is a great convenience to their feelings, I should say.' "'Yes, so her husband thought, no doubt, when he divorced her. "'Shall we look at the pictures, too?' The trio, so you've got just the worst people. You've got Arabella, Philbert, and her ghastly friend uh Anne or Annie. And they're uh they're they're following this mostly happy Troika into the art exhibition. So the low going into the at the very least middle brow. The trio followed across the green and entered, Jude and Sue with the child, unaware of the interest they were exciting, had gone up to a model at one end of the building, which they regarded with considerable attention for a long while before they went on. Arabella and her friends came to it in due course and the inscription it bore was model of Cardinal College Christminster by J. Folly and S.F.M. Brighthead. Well, wow. they've made themselves a little model to be exhibited there at the agricultural show. Good for them. Good for them. Uh, And that, that, that is just right up their alley, isn't it? Uh, Remember when they were at, where were they? Uh, uh, Not Christminster, uh, but just outside, you know, where uh, what's his face was teaching. And uh, she was the pupil teacher and, and they took the students to a model of Jerusalem. And they were all inspecting it, and and Sue was very critical of the model, saying, "How could they know these things about Jerusalem?" And 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 Jude was there, and Jude was inspecting the model. And so they have this interest; they have this interest together of art and such, admiring their old work. Said Arabella, "How like Jude, always thinking of colleges in Christminster instead of attending to his business." They glanced cursorily at the pictures and proceeded to the bandstand. When they had stood a little while listening to the music of the military performers, Jude, Sue, and the child came up on the other side. Arabella did not care if they should recognize her, but they were too deeply absorbed in their own lives as translated into emotion by the military band to perceive her under her beaded veil. She walked round the outside of the listening throng, passing behind the lovers whose movements had an unexpected fascination for her today. Scrutinizing them narrowly from the rear, she noticed that Jude's hand sought Sue's as they stood, the two standing close together so as to conceal as they supposed this tacit expression of their mutual responsiveness silly fools like two children arabella whispered to herself morosely as she rejoined her companions with whom she preserved a preoccupied silence So uh, Arabella's miserable seeing their happiness. Of course she is. Of course, Arabella cannot stand the thought of Jude being happy without her. Uh, And of course, Jude would be miserable with her, and that would perhaps give her greater satisfaction. Even if she herself were miserable with Jude, she would prefer that to seeing Jude happy without her. And for him to be as entranced as he is with Sue, in particular, must be galling. Sue, who is pretty, Sue, who is light, Sue, who is chaste, or appears chaste, anyway. Sue, who is everything that Arabella is not, and it must burn in her craw, this low woman now said the physician to arabella apart do you want anything such as this mrs cartlett it is not compounded out of my regular pharmacopoeia but it, i am sometimes asked for such a thing he produced a small phial of clear liquid a love filter such as was used by the ancients with great effect i found it out by study of their writings and have never known it to fail What's it made of, asked Arabella curiously. So, he, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's Spanish fly. Well, a distillation of the juices of doves' hearts. Otherwise, pigeons is one of the ingredients. It took nearly a hundred hearts to produce that small bottle full. How do you get pigeons enough? To tell a secret, I get a piece of rock salt, of which pigeons are inordinately fond, and place it in a dovecote on my roof. In a few hours, the birds come to it from all points of the compass, east, west, north, and south, and thus I secure as many as I require. You use this liquid by contriving that the desired man shall take about ten drops of it in his drink, but remember, all this is told you, because I gather from your questions that you mean to be a purchaser. You must keep faith with me. So he's selling her this Spanish fly. What she's going to do with it, we don't know. But it would seem to me that he's going to roofie, she's going to roofie his drink. She's going to put something in his drink, in Jude's drink right there. What's that going to do? It's going to spell T. That rhymes with P. That stands for pool. I mean, it's a, it's a Music Man reference. Well, you got trouble right here in River City. Capital T. That rhymes with P. That stands for pool. Stands for pool. Very well, I don't mind a bottle to give some friend of other to try it on her young man. She produced five shillings, the price asked, and slipped the file in her capacious bosom. Saying presently that she was due at an appointment with her husband, she sauntered away towards the refreshment bar, Jude, his companion, and the child having gone on to the horticultural tent where Arabella caught a glimpse of them standing before a group of roses in bloom. She waited a few minutes observing them, and then proceeded to join her spouse with no very amiable sentiments. She found him seated on a stool by the bar, talking to one of the gaily-dressed maids who had served him with spirits. "'I should think you had enough of this business at home,' Arabella remarked gloomily. "'Surely you didn't come fifty miles from your own bar to stick in another.' "'Come, take me round the show, as other men do their wives. "'Damn me, one would think you were a young bachelor with nobody to look after but yourself.' But we agreed to meet here, and what could I do but wait? Well, now we have met. Come along, she returned, (laughs) ready to quarrel with the sun for shining on her. And they left the tent together, this pot-bellied man and florid woman, in the antipathetic, recriminatory mood of the average husband and wife of Christendom. Well so you know hardy does not paint a cheerful picture of the married couple arabella and her husband the publican whereas the single couple or let's say the uh unbetrothed couple jude and sue a very happy portrait um sue had predicted that if they married they should fall into misery They did not marry. They have not fallen into misery. Whereas Arabella could not wait to be re-secured in those bonds, and she would quarrel with the sun for shining on her. And she's with this big dope, the publican, who himself seems to be falling into the despair of alcoholism, as one does when one is married, of course. And so that's where we'll leave them for this episode. Uh, we have seen the effects of marriage on, or not marriage, on two couples. Both have lived predictable lives, but now we have introduced a new element: a file of some liquid. Now I keep saying "file." You may think it's "vial," but it is spelled p h i a l. So, file of some liquid, secured by the Quack Vilbert a spanish fly something that will upset the balance between most likely jude and sue what will it be what will this strange brew turn out to be uh will it be some hallucinatory concoction we don't know we don't know what's going to happen that's what's exciting you know I, i look i do such a good job with this podcast you guys because i end on a question every time it keeps you coming back for more the literally ten of you who have made it this far into Obscure. well what's gonna happen will will the Spanish fly unleash the great horned beast in Jude's loins we do not know to find out tune into the next pulse quickening episode of obscure until then I and my shitty little rat dog, Jack-Jack, wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.